We begin by acknowledging that the land on which we record this podcast is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabeg peoples. This territory is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people on this land, and that not all settlers were brought here by choice. We believe it is important to move forward in the spirit of reconciliation, compassion, and respect. I'm Kimberly McKenzie. And I'm Paul Nazareth. Welcome to The Intersection. We are thrilled to welcome Barbara Florsch to the podcast today. Our conversation with Barbara blew our mind, and it completely changed Paul's and my biases around grant funding. Barbara has over 40 years experiencing managing nonprofits, writing grant proposals, and administering grants. She has raised millions of dollars in grant funding, served as a reviewer for federal grant competitions, trained thousands of nonprofit staff members throughout the U.S. and internationally, and she's even testified before Congress on reauthorization of the National Endowment for the Arts. This conversation and reading Barbara's book, which we did, it's called You Have a Hammer, Building Grant Proposals for Social Change, convinced us that grant writing can be a massive social change tool that many organizations simply aren't leveraging. Barbara is super smart, passionate, and has even inspired me to, as she said, let my freak flag fly. (laughs) I very much enjoyed getting to know her, and I'm sure you will as well. Let's dive in. Hey, Paul. Hey there, Kimberly. So today, we're having a conversation that I never thought I would have on this podcast. Me too. (laughs) Oh, I know. I'm, I'm actually kind of excited um, having met Barbara and having read her book to have her here today. Barbara, can you um, come to the stage? I will do that. Here I am. Hi. Hi, nice Hi to Paul. See you. Hi, Kimberly. Hi. Good to see you too. So um, I remember when this book was first introduced to me and you probably remember this too and i said oh that's not what we do on this podcast and i do remember you do remember yeah. that. <laughs> that. i was 100 percent expecting grants for dummies yeah i know, I know. <laughs> and and then you know i talked to you and i thought well she's kind of cool and interesting so we could do that and now you've written this book called um the, oh, sorry, I'm going to edit edit that part out because I don't have it in front of me anymore. Oh, you, I, I've got the perfect lead into this. I want to know if what? this book title was cooked up by Dr. Hibbert from The Simpsons. Why? <laughs> no. Because that's how all of his brochures went. His, his brochure was like, you know, so you got prostate problems. Uh, and, and this book was called So You Have a Hammer. I'm like, did Dr. Hibbert name this book? <laughs> No, it, it, it had the name of the book has a funny, there's a funny story to it, at least to me. Yeah, I want to hear it. How did so you I, this book? I, so, see, this book was not written in response to the moment in history in which we find ourselves. I mean, that's one assumption you could easily make, but, but it wasn't. Hmm. I mean, I have trained thousands, and I'm not 
I'm not exaggerating, of people all over the country and in other countries. And I always see these misperceptions about grant funding that limit its change-making power. So I just started writing these little snippets. I don't even call them chapters. I call them little sections. I, I started writing about what I saw all the time. So mm-hmm. I, uh, my publisher said, okay, what's the name of the book? And I said, The Little Green Book of Grantsmanship. And everybody just yawned. You know, it's like, what? What is that? Sounds like a grant book. Yeah. And so <laughs> then I said, well, It's about social change. It's about that if you do this work right, you are a social activist. If you don't do it right, you're not. Hmm. And um, that it's all about making change. And so we got into, I would say, a vibrant discussion. And finally, I said, you have a tool, you have a hammer. If you have, if you do this work right, you have a hammer. And everybody said, that's the name of the book. Whoa. So (laughs) it wasn't born out of the the old adage, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail? No, it was not. Okay. Because it was born out of um, Pete Seeger's, you have a, if, uh, if you have a hammer, do you know, you remember Pete Seeger's song, If I Had a Hammer? Yeah. If, if I Had a Bell? Had a hammer. I'd hammer in the morning. Well, it, anyway, it's a song about social justice. And it, the whole notion is taking something that's common uh-huh. like a hammer or a bell yeah. and repurposing it to change. Uh-huh. And so that's the, that's the title. That's where that title comes from. Because what really struck me about the book was that, that piece that everybody who has a hammer, it looks, everything looks like a nail because most people think that's what grant writing and grants are. And the thing that struck me the most about this book, you had a chapter uh, the, you're an applicant, not a supplicant. I loved that. And talking about what grant writing is not. Yeah. Nobody does that. So, like, you know, where it fits into philanthropy, what you shouldn't yeah. be using it for, what are the appropriate times. So, yes, I'd love to kind of hear more about how your experience training organizations trained you to help them to level set expectations around what it's not and mm-hmm. how your experience has grown in where it fits in the kind of the charitable, you know, like that percentage and portion of revenue mm-hmm. to help. Yeah. Now I, I would love to start off with that because I'm sort of a, I go against the grain on this. Um, the thing that my perspective is that grants are used incorrectly by most organizations that most organizations approach grant funding indirectly, Mm -hmm. I mean, incorrectly. Mm -hmm. And so one part of that is that I take issue with how philanthropic dollars are defined. And what I mean by that is that right now there's this whole thing that everybody knows that individual giving is a whole lot more, brings in a whole lot more income to organizations than foundations and corporations. Right. So it's like half, half. It's 69% giving USA's. Okay. Mm-hmm. But here is where I take issue. I, I would like to step back and talk about funding for the public good, for the common good. There's a lot of funding for the common good that goes out through grants that does not come from foundations or corporations. It comes from government. In Canada, it comes from the, the province, right? It's the pro- mostly from the provinces, I mean, oh, some yeah. from the federal government. But the issue is that 
here in the States, I, I, I looked at all the data and everything. And if you throw in, if you talk about funding for the public good, grants are a lot bigger chunk of funding than individual giving. So I am not at all dissing individual giving. I mean, I, I get it. You got to do it, you know. But my point is that organizations don't take grants seriously enough. They just say, oh, go write it up and get some money. And we, you know, go, oh, there's an opportunity. Go get some money, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But if, if you really look at the magnitude of grants, thinking of money for the public good, rather than just those elite philanthropic dollars, mm. um, it's a big honking powerhouse of possibility. Yeah. To make big change. honking powerhouse, powerhouse of possibility. <laughs> and again, what what really struck me was how you talk about not taking government funding for granted. That that is also an application. So you know, in Canada, our numbers are eighteen billion dollars donated in our last full tax year, but only half of that was individual donors. Quite a lot of it was that that foundation funding, but mm -hmm. that's receded and reported. So unreceded revenue is around 260 billion, mm -hmm. right? And so, and so many organizations take that for granted. And I can't tell you how many times I read in annual reports, oh, the big bad government is cutting. And well, you know what? You never stewarded that relationship in the same way you steward a $20 donor exactly. to say thank you and everything. Well, guess what? Be surprised they're cutting it because you didn't show them value. You didn't have a relationship and you never really thought about their process and their needs. I do. I just so agree with you, Paul, because if, if you if you take the grant acquisition function of an organization and integrate it in to administration and the overall development function so that they're talking and they're working and grants are good for that, but this is not good for that. Hey, we can get a grant boost this. That'll put us on the road to do that. But but what happens is people just say, oh, grants, there's something, go write it up. They don't take it seriously. And it's of is in fact a very serious change-making engine. Mm. So uh, Barbara, you did say that you didn't write this book for the moment we're in. I did not. But but there's a lot of what we've been talking about. Again, you know, in I know. our colleague Vuli around justice yeah. granting, Edgar Villanueva as well. Here in Canada, we've got finally some more data around granting to Black communities, Indigenous communities, or rather the lack of granting. And all throughout your book are these really weird snippets and guides around justice, mm -hmm. activism. Like we're, I'm like, this is supposed to be a book yeah. about paperwork. Yeah, and that <laughs> whole chapter, that whole chapter about cultural relevance. Yeah. Um, but we're kind of calling it community-centered fundraising right now. Yeah, and you know, and I was I was privileged to be one of two speakers last week with Vuli. So he was the, you know, he did the the sort of um what do you talk about? Yeah, the big talk, and then I was one, I was the next presenter. And you know, this is what I've been teaching the whole time I've been teaching. Mm -hmm. And I have had people come to me after a class and say, I totally look at my work different. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I totally see what the possibility of this work is. So my sort of soapbox is I want organizations where boards, administrators to 
look at this in a different way. Mm -hmm. I and think um, a lot yeah. of people who could also fall back in love with grant writing and this type of fundraising as a better Absolutely. part of their asset mix. So you, yeah. And, you know, we're Kimberly and I are very based in individual giving, mm -hmm. but there's a lot here that I think could help, could empower people who do this to feel better about how they do it. Yeah. What, what I like about it is how Barbara writes about looking at your implicit bias and are you developing appropriate systems and are you consulting with your communities? Um, but I, what I think, I loved the most about it is that you talk about even when you're looking at different cultures, you can't use broad brush strokes within those mm -hmm. cultures. You need to also assess the individuals and not make assumptions, but being intentional around staying away from cultural stereotyping. Yes. And you know, when, yeah, go ahead. When I think about the you know, com what community, the whole big raging thing about community centric fundraising versus the other, you know, and, I mean, obviously, maybe it's not obvious. I come down on the community-centric side. <laughs> but um, th there is a lot of similarity in how this thought process around grants to community-centric fundraising. Because mm -hmm. ba basically you're saying you're, you're an applicant, you're not a supplicant, and you need to be driven by your community. You know, be driven by the community, because if you're not, it's not what I call a righteous ask. You know, it's just running around asking, you know, seeking money. Yeah. So if you let the community be the driver and then you, you take all the sort of systems that you can put together to do this work right, it, you can be incredibly powerful. You can you can help the community find all the power it needs. I mean, all, all any organization is, is in service to the community. That's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but one thing that I do write about in this book, because I've seen it, is even the most small organization can get all puffed up about their importance and they don't want to share their this or that, and they don't want to share their decision making. They don't want to share their grant funding. It's, it's a headset that needs to be articulated. We need to call people out and say, stop doing grants the wrong way. You've done them the wrong way for so long. Everybody thinks they're junk money. They are not if you use it correctly. Mm -hmm. Now, that leads us to one of the biggest you know, pieces of this puzzle, which is evaluation. Yes. So you, you talked in there about evaluation, but you know the other part too is who's evaluating? How are they evaluating? What is our common, or in fact, in a lot of cases, uncommon language, right? In both sides of the border, we've got formal evaluators, the government, and we've got a whole bunch of unform, informal evaluators, a few self-proclaimed, right? That's one of our challenges too, is, is who decides what is impact, what is value, what is yes. access? Absolutely. I would love to. I mean, I, so number one, <laughs> number one, uh, evaluation is an obligation of any organization. This is not, if it's funder driven, funder required, and that's why you're evaluating, you need to change the way you think about it. Because if you only exist to serve the community, nobody's paying you to run around and do things. People are paying you to try to make things better. And you're not going to know if you're doing that if you don't evaluate. So a lot of times we know that funders say, this is the value, evaluate this. And we also know that a lot of times we don't agree with that. 
that maybe we don't or maybe the community doesn't. So there's what I always say is <laughs> given to the funder what the funder demands, but don't stop there. You have to say, what does the community demand? What what do we need? And then figure out those values. And, and that's an obligation of good social justice work. Mm -hmm. um, and so a story is, uh, it's funny, I just wrote a whole, I just wrote an article recently on evaluation and on how often it's done incorrectly. Um, but one thing I did when I was working in a social service organization is uh, work with ethnographers as evaluators. You know, it, it, I was so tired of, you know, taking somebody's pulse and blood pressure or weight or whatever it is, you know, the data, data, you got to have the data. Okay. But there's so much more. So we brought in ethnographers who were they do something called thick description, which is a whole lot of being out there in the community and with the people and talking about what is value and what has changed. And so I think that if we as organizations commit to evaluation, but this is part of doing grants right, the funder should not dictate to you. The funder can say, you must evaluate this. Okay, do it, but just don't stop there. Figure out what your value is. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about, um, I've got this great colleague, Ann Gloger, who uh, pioneered the East Scarborough storefront and is now actually uh, advancing an organization called Connected Communities that is trying to reteach the model of community organizations. She, she's got 30 years experience in nonprofit. And she, we were doing a talk to a community foundation funder group. She said, you know, in my 30 years, we went from the funders funding organizations to funding projects, uh, to funding uh, to uh, projects, and now funding only certain initiatives. You're telling us to feed people sandwiches, but you're only going to fund the lettuce, right? Right, and and that's what where she was also what you're talking about is that thing. If you let the funders guide you, they're just going to keep making it smaller right. and smaller and harder, and you're going to end up in this really weird place as opposed mm -hmm. to defining who are we, what are we going to do, how do we do it. How do we evaluate that? What, so how do we value that? Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is that my position, which has proven true in my work, and you know, other people maybe have not had this experience, is I know that it's hard because sometimes you walk away from the money and you need the money, but sometimes you walk away. If it's not right, you got to walk because if you don't, you're going to pull your organization somewhere it should not go. But my position is that when you hold your value and speak the value, and it's not your value, it's the value of the community, that eventually you do well and better grant-wise because you are, it's an authentic, mm -hmm. it's an authentic movement towards meeting some real need or some promoting something truly important. It, it, to me, it becomes apparent when a group's just running around looking for money. So that, you made such a great point there about the, the role of the grant writer as a facilitator 
within yes. the organization. And yes. I think that we sometimes forget that that's our job as fundraisers is to, you know, the program staff may be saying they need to do this and the funder may be saying they need to do that. And they're just using different words to describe the same problem. And a grant writer is going to be able to see that and bring those things together. You can't, sometimes you can, and sometimes there'll be differences right. that you can't reconcile, you know, or that you have to have people do uh, negotiation or compromise and so forth. Mm -hmm. But one thing, I think one of the chapters in the book is just because you need money doesn't need you mean you need a grant. Yeah. And, and there's just so many organizations that think we need money, we must need a grant. Now, we know individual giving is really important. Uh, all of that very funding stream and so forth is really important. But people who do grant proposal work are generally isolated within organizations. They are generally not at the decision-making tables where they can advocate for certain ways of doing the work that make it more impactful. And they generally, frankly, are they are seen as less senior. They make make less money. Yeah, all of that. Yet, um, the Paul's money dancing. they bring in is he's, a lot. Oh, he's like dancing. I, I am because you know what? Real talk. You've identified it right here. That's the best way for a grant writer to get fired, mm -hmm. right? You when you talk about walking away from gifts. Yes. These have been the scariest times of my career. When I had to challenge a gift, they hauled me in front of the board and said, mm -hmm. look, we're going to fire you. We're just talking about when. You just need to explain to us why we're saying no to this gift. Mm -hmm. And what I think you've done here, because again, what I think helps people in these roles, vulnerable roles, you know, money is there, it's on the table. Yeah. You've decoupled in the book ethics and knowing when to walk away, right? The yeah. chapter, be sure it's worth it. Be sure it's worth it. Even grant writers here is a little bit more ammunition to push back on boards and bosses mm -hmm. to decouple because ethics is the easy one. If it's wrong, it's wrong in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. but actually being worth it is yes. another one. And I'm thinking frankly of a well-known Canadian funder who makes everybody jump through how many hoops yeah. and we're gonna keep your left eyeball yeah. as collateral. And yeah. you're like, listen, you know, what are we what are we trying to do here? And will the organization be crippled? You know, again, the the um, bad funding practices uh, our colleague Vu puts out there, mm -hmm. how many organizations say things like, we're giving you $1,000, but we want you to open up all your financials to us. Yeah. Who makes that deal? Yeah. Right? Like, actually, in, in both our sides of the border, we're trying to enact legislation against predatory money lenders on individual people. But no one's saying that about funders, because just think about what that, the stress that causes EDs of tiny organizations and the bookkeeper, non-existent finance staff, right? So mm -hmm. I think that will help someone to say, if they're struggling with that, we're gonna give you a few more tools to challenge, to push back, to do what you know is right, but sometimes it's not as easy as an ethical breach. It, it's, it's true because it, it does sometimes threaten your livelihood. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it. Just like you said, you were called up and said, you're gonna be fired. It's not a matter of uh, if, it's a matter of when. Um, but what I really want is I want people who understand this to advocate for it, because unless we advocate for doing grants work in, in a certain way, then we are we're frittering away the, the power it could have mm -hmm. for change. 
So what do you think the solution is, Barbara? Because you did talk, you know, we did touch a little bit on uh, grant writers are usually the least senior person in the development department and and how how can they lean into that power? What would you recommend they do? That, you know, that is a really hard question, is it? And it certainly is one that comes up when I'm talking to people. Um, first, you've got to get your legs under you. You've got to believe it. You know, you've got to believe it. It's got to be meaningful enough to you that you will take risk for it. And if so, so that's number one. Mm-hmm. I think that I can. I can't ever walk in other people's shoes. And if somebody's struggling to put food on the table for their children, I can't say, well, you know, you need to walk away or this or no. that. But I can say you need to look for a different job. Mm-hmm. You know, I can say look for a, a professional home where you're comfortable and where you can advocate. So so if, if you're in we've all been hearing recently, at least I have in the grants professional groups of uh, some of the of the grants people who have brought uh, DEI, you know, yeah. issues to yeah. their boards. So I think or to, Ford Foundation led the way in that. Right. But some of these grants people are bringing issues to their boards and their boards are saying, well, you know, we can't deal with that right now. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and they're real. just saying, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? So my answer, I guess, is pretty similar. You advocate as much as you can. And if you are clear that this is not going to change within that organization, you probably should look for another place to be. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, both most of the best grant writers I know are independent. Mm-hmm. And for that very reason, they brought up the ethical, they brought up even the procedural. Mm-hmm. You know, recently I was talking to somebody about a fundraising strategy and they called me up and said, look, I want to do this. And I said, look, we've got the data now to show that that's not an effective strategy. And they said, yeah, but my boss told me to do it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. that leads that leads to the mountain in the spoon scenario, right? Yes. The promising in the grant application that you're going to lasso the moon out of the sky, but not being able to deliver on those programs. You know, what I believe, I, this, is, I, this is, I've coined this, the mountain in the spoon. It's sort of like, you know, here's this big thing and we're going to solve it. And that's one thing, which is it's counterproductive. But the, the other is that you can make an argument. You can feel so overwhelmed when you're trying to address these large uh, entra- in, entrenched problems. Mm-hmm. You know, t- homelessness is people who are experiencing homelessness is a big, good example. I mean, look at all the the roots, you got to get at the roots of anything to make change, right? right. And, and something like that has so many roots. So, but the issue is, there's also something I call radical collaboration. I, collaboration is a word that everybody is just so sick of. And I, I think you all may be familiar with um, collective impact. I, I want to change that to collective impact mm. because really, if you take a right size bite, something that your organization is in your mission, is something you can do. Everybody's got to do something to try to make this thing get better. I call it revolution by a thousand cuts. So it's not death by a thousand cuts, revolution by a thousand cuts. So if you keep your mission true mm-hmm. and, and true to your capacity, but if you as an organization are not 
really involved with your community ecosystem, let's put it that way, then you're not going to be able to work towards collective impact because you won't all know what each other are doing. So this is part of grants work. And some people say, well, that's not my job to be the one who goes out in the community and does all these connections. That's other people's jobs. And okay, but is somebody doing it? Mm -hmm. And if they're not doing it, my position is that the community in which you work is an ecosystem all of the, the organizations and people, lots of them have places where their interests and their missions intersect. You got to find those yeah. intersections and be there and then say, OK, this place we can all work to do something about. You'll be working in other places as well. But if, if you don't work where everyone intersects, you're wasting your power. You're mm -hmm. wasting the power. And you're going to burn yourself out. You know, again, this is my great colleague, uh, Ann, Ann Glover, and this Center for Connected Communities in uh, here in Canada. Again, we've got the Ontario Nonprofit Network and the Calgary Chamber of Volunteer Organizations. These nonprofit networks have also pushed back on the funder demand and even the public demand mm -hmm. that is incredibly ignorant towards merger. Charities need to merge as right, right, right. into your organizations and all. And they don't understand there's so many reasons from governance to funding to mm -hmm. legislation regionally, all that that's not going to happen. And the, the collective impact model and what a lot of them are calling yes. shared platforms, that seems to be the way that things are playing out for everybody, including really big players, even like right. United Ways. Yeah. I so mean, that, it, yeah. there is a, there is a group I've been following. I haven't, um, just recently been following the collective impact forum and you can you can see it online and what they do is that they have examples of collective impact projects around the country mm. but i mean obviously or around the world actually but obviously in my life i've seen it i've done it i mean the work the the way i'm advocating that grants work be done i've done so i'm not saying something that i haven't done Mm -hmm. And I do know, I mean, I do know that my grants work has started a transitional living ho home for young men coming out of jail um, that's still going 15 years later. It started this and that that was desperately needed in the community and the churches, the the government, the young men themselves coming out of jail, the, the mayor, you know, everybody was at the table. It took four years before we got a planning grant. Finally, we didn't even ask for money. We weren't ready yet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then finally, asked for a planning grant, got that, and would not open the doors until we had the sustainability piece figured out. Because mm -hmm. you had to. It's mm -hmm. a moral obligation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, these, this is grants work as it can be. And I think the more that people who are the getting, you know, charged with writing the proposals in their organizations feel some power in it and, and guide how the work can be done. Mm -hmm. And I think that you yes. two, you know, as people who are mostly in the individual giving and the bequest sort of feel, what you can do is advocate 
for grants work done right and advocate yeah. for bringing that grants function into your development yeah. fold. Yeah, they often aren't even invited into meetings. No, no, no. <laughs> They're kept as far away from strategy as possible. <laughs> I was I was thinking about Rumpelstiltskin when I was reading a couple of things, <laughs> you know, just spinning that gold in the basement. Yeah. And, and it really touched me when I thought of my some of my grant writing colleagues about about their self worth. Yeah. Yes. That really it really hurt me when I realized there's a few of them that are brilliant. They have no self worth because their organizations treat them like that spinning gold. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. On to the next yeah. one. Grabbing and the grants. You know, Grabbing the grants. Grabbing the grants. Yeah. We, we just gotta we just gotta have, encourage them to you know keep a wind wall. Mm-hmm. of these things just like you said right there i empowered x to happen yes and that i think there's a huge part there that can help people have more self-worth feel better about it maybe even raise the status in the revenue development piece and as you said kimberly bring them to the table well yeah I mean, they got to be at the table the, the other problem that i'm thinking a lot about lately and we'll talk about it in a future podcast though is staff turnover i mean and and that particularly with the lower level, not less power or less importance, but just the less senior, more junior fundraisers who end up being the grant writer, they often turn over in their jobs. And it really to, to have the kind of impact and social change that you're talking about, Barbara, those folks need to be deeply entrenched in the programs and all of the systems within the organization. And they need to be valued and heard. And they do. that is the change I think your book will help. I really hope so. I mean, it's it is bad for the professional who's doing the work. It is bad for them personally. It's also bad for the organization in the long run. Yeah. Which means it's bad for the community. Yeah. It, it means that my you have a hammer building grant proposals for social change. Do the work from a social change perspective. Use uh, how, what's the right way to use a grant funding? What's the wrong way? I think sometimes if for some organizations, now you two tell me if this is true. I bet you a grants person will bring in probably as much as or more than somebody bringing individual giving money mm-hmm. in a year. Often, yeah, in, yeah, unreceded. Again, that's um, the secret yeah. number that's not being counted. That's right. Yes. And, and is it not, is it not funding for the common good? You know? Yeah. And again, we're, it's going to shift to the activist. It's going to shift to the equity as everybody, you know, tries to figure out the reverse DEI calculation. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the weird kind of secret benefits I, I felt as I was reading was, you know, one of the struggles, even in the individual giving world is that actually the pitch to donor advised funds in the end is a pitch to a fund holder, to a person who who in their mind feels I have a foundation. Mm. And in fact, a lot of individual giving people are used to saying, ask, cash, check, done. Mm -hmm. And now more people, frankly, even the DAFs themselves are setting up more of a a, a funding wall. Mm -hmm. So I think this could even help some of the people in the individual world as we start, Mm -hmm. you know, we know it's trillions in the States, billions Mm -hmm. in Canada who are in these spaces with these kind of assets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a real, there's some real overlap here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in terms of individual giving and doing grants work right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, you don't, if you just chase the grant, there's not a lot of 
overlap. But if you really are serious about, I, I just feel like saying, please, everybody, mm-hmm. if you look at the billions of dollars involved here, mm-hmm. can we not take this funding source more seriously it, within our organizations? Can we not integrate it in with development? Can we not bring it to the table? Can you know, and and really, because right now I just don't. Oh. I, I, that needs to change. How much of that onus, though, is on the charity? I'm hearing more and more about the need for funders to streamline their processes, deliver funding quicker, have more have more realistic um, uh, um, guidelines for reporting back. And how much of your work do you think will be able to influence foundations and grant makers? Um, You know, there's such an imbalance. We all know that there's such an imbalance between those who give and those who ask. Mm. You know, especially, I mean, it it, it probably in in individual giving, but certainly in foundation giving, sort Mm. of the the image is like the the grant seeker on bended knee saying please you know give me some money the the beggar um i believe that the more grounded you are in social change work with grants the more you can help the grant makers change i think you can advocate my i think what i say in the book is educate yourself and um, speak up with a well-reasoned voice Mm. that is loud enough to be heard. Mm. So just, you know, just keep at it. I mean, there is some change in the funder world that we're seeing. I mean, as you said, the Ford Foundation has taken great steps and so forth. Um, But, you know, I wrote an article for the nonprofit Times called... um, full cost funding at a glacial pace. <laughs> I mean, basically, I went and looked, I did some research and looked up articles on full cost funding. And the, you would, some you would just want to jump up and cheer, you know, it was like, yes, this is so right. Yes, this is so right. Then you looked at the date. It was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's glacial. I mean, now, but you know, the whole thing about uh, full cost funding, operating overhead, you know, it is there. People are hearing it, but they are a lot of, a lot of foundations are loath to change. And, and again, it's our culture, right? So if the organizations are only used to pitching for project funding, that's all they're ever going to get. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I, frankly, I can even see enlightened funders. You know, I recently had a colleague who was a, who was a grant writer who's moved into a government position that said, I'm excited, I can help make some change. And he goes, oh my gosh, all I'm getting is bad is ba- bad applications yes. because they're asking for the bare minimum. I can't as the funder, my boss will kill me if I write back to them saying, could you do more? Could you ask for more? Could you be more strategic? <laughs> so I could see this person even saying for with all their grants and again, community foundations, mm-hmm. all of them, when they do their big grant nights and check presentations mm-hmm. saying, hey, under the big check, here's this book. Mm-hmm. This is going to help you sleep better at night. Again, I think one of the reasons me and Kimberly started this was to also create a place for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. A lot of the formal places out there pitch a lot of very formal things mm-hmm. 
but for people to feel more comfortable, more confident in themselves, I think this book is going to give them a lot of, of those resources. And I think to bridge that gap between yeah. funder and applicant. Well, well I, I hope so, Paul. It's a, it's an area that I've always tried to stay as far away from as possible. <laughs> Me too. The fact that I made it through your book is a miracle. And, uh, and I found it interesting. And it also, I, I have um, a, a final question for you. Um, you decided to dedicate your book to Dorothy Watson Smith and Josephine Cohen Smith. Can you right. tell us why you decided to do that? Uh, Dorothy Watson Smith is my mother. And uh, she did not graduate from college, but she, uh, she liked writing a lot. And she read all the time. And her father was a writer. He was a poet, although that wasn't his. It was his avocation rather than his vocation. And my Aunt Jo, Josephine Cohen Smith, um, she was a professional woman in the Deep South a long time ago when that wasn't done so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also was a, what, was the, what is it called when you're in the Navy, a wave or something like that? She went to <laughs> Cuba when she was young and in the Navy, you know. Mm-hmm. I just had always had a lot of respect for her um, as someone who went out. She, she, for example, she started an arts organization in my hometown in the Deep South and made sure everybody had equal access to that arts mm-hmm. education. So that's why. Hmm. Sounds to me like healthy culture, more courage. Hmm. And I think that's what everybody can use. Thanks, Paul. Wasn't that great? Barbara was so much fun. Um, Using a grant program to advance social change and pursue collective impact will revolutionize the funding landscape for many organizations. And if you would like to learn more, you can buy Barbara's new book, You Have a Hammer, Building Grant Proposals for Social Change, at Canada's Civil Sector Press, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Her website includes information on herself and other grant-related resources, so you can learn more by visiting barbaraflorsch.com. And, of course, we're so glad that you chose to spend some time with us today. Please remember to subscribe, review, and share this podcast so that we can keep building the intersection community. Thank you for being here.